0: To In the Word, with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Galatians chapter 6. Paul has just spoken about in chapter 5 he just talked about the spirit uh and the flesh what are the deeds of the flesh what are the deeds of the spirit and uh what is the fruit of the spirit not just necessarily deeds but what is the fruit what what is what is the fruit of the spirit look like what what are the works of the flesh what what do they look like and and as we talked about that you remember that we said that neither one of those lists were exhaustive and so there are so many more things that we could characteristics that we could add to those both negatively and positively for the flesh or for the spirit and uh and so it's not an exhaustive list but the the point is paul is is painting a picture of what the flesh looks like he's painting a picture what the spirit what walking in the spirit what the fruit of the spirit is and so, he immediately comes out of that, and he says, guys, brethren, gals, and when you say brethren, it's a generic term that is not saying, hey, brothers, you know, he's saying, Church, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the church in a whole. Brethren, if a man is overtaken, again, when he says man, it's in a generic term. It's if anyone, right, if anyone is overtaken, and you remember we talked about that last week. I'm going to just very quickly go through to, to set myself up for today. He says, uh, brethren, if a, if a man is overtaken, and you remember we talked about that word overtaken means a surprise avalanche. You remember a surprise avalanche, something surprising, something that just happened, something that overcame them very quickly. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness and, and the idea there in the in the restore that word you remember we talked about that that word restore, and that word restore. It literally means it's it's what a doctor would do if you went in with a fractured bone. You have a fractured bone, the doctor would reset the bone so that your bone would, your arm would grow or that bone would grow normally again. And that's what Paul is saying. If anyone is suddenly overtaken in any kind of a trespass, you who are spiritual, go back in and set that bone straight. Set that. Set it back into a place where it's going to grow back into a healthy limb again. A, a healthy, you know. And when we talk about a limb, we think about the fruit of the vine. You know, uh, you know, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. You know, those who don't bear good fruit, he breaks off and he throws into the fire. The idea is, in here, you know, when when we have a brokenness, if we we have a a, a splintering or we have a fracture we who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, if it's me that you have to come to, if it's you that I have to go to or we have to go to, we're there not to beat you down. You're not there to beat me down. We're there not to beat each other down. How often it has been said that, that uh, I, and I, it's a shame that we have to say this, but oftentimes I've heard it said that the Christian army Speaking of, of, of the church as a whole. It's the only army that shoots its own wounded. And so oftentimes when we have a, a brother or a sister that's overtaken in any trespass, instead of setting the bone, what we do is we pull the 44 out and put them out of their misery. You know, we, 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 we take them down. We kick them out. We, we, we don't work with them. We don't set the bone. We don't restore them in a spirit of gentleness. But Paul's saying, you don't be like that. Don't take them out. Don't beat them up. Don't knock them down. Don't break another bone in your, you know, self-piety. And he, he, he goes on and he says, listen, restore such a one, right? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness would say, hey, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you're doing this and you're restoring that one, what are we doing? When we're living in the fruit of the Spirit, we're living in the Spirit of Christ, right? We're living in the Spirit of the Holy Spirit moving in and through us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't rebuke people at times. He rebukes you and me at times, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit sometimes convicts us on certain things. That's okay. Does't mean that that if there's a problem in the church that a pastor or the elders of a church or the deacons of a church or you know the, the, some of the, the women in the church come alongside, and, and maybe there is a rebuke, but it's not a rebuke to 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 kick someone out. The idea is to is to restore that one. The idea behind a rebuke would be to restore. But we, but Paul says, when you do it in a spirit of gentleness, I want you to do this, I want you to do it this way. This is how you practice this, restoring a brother or a sister. You do it in a spirit of gentleness, but I want you to always consider yourself while you're doing it. Unless you also be tempted. And so when we come before somebody, when somebody slipped up, when somebody has, has failed, instead of beating them up, we come alongside and we say, Hey, how would we want to be treated? You remember I talked about that last week. Oftentimes when you cut, you know, you know, somebody cuts you off, you get really upset. You know, you drive up next to them because you just really want to know what an idiot looks like today. And you just want to look over. Oh, that's what you look like. Okay. That's, that's what an idiot looks like today. And, and and if you do that, I've been busted on that so many times. Because it's not more than five minutes later that I do the same thing that I was just mad at that person for. God doesn't let me get away with things like that. But me, you know, I, oh, hey, sorry, sorry, sorry. And when the person doesn't respond in a forgiving manner, I get upset. Who do you think you are, man? I said I was sorry. You know? And then you get a, you cop an attitude and then it's just road rage all over again, you know. That's a bad thing. Road rage is not a good thing. Here's the thing. Consider yourself lest you also be tempted. We're all weak at times. We all fail at times. And, and, and we all fail in the same thing many times over. And as much as you get frustrated at yourself, I get frustrated in myself. We get frustrated in ourselves to when we, when we blow it and we run to the Lord and we go, Oh Lord, here I am again. Asking you to forgive me for this same thing again. I'm not, have you ever gotten to that point where you go, I don't even want to come to talk to you about this again. Number one. I don't think you're going to forgive me anymore. I mean, how many times can you forgive me for this? I mean, do I even really genuinely mean I'm sorry now? I mean, I can't mean it if I continue to go and do it. Lord, now listen, that's the enemy. Really trying to get in and under your skin. That's your flesh. Putting God's forgiveness and his restoration based upon your own way of thinking. Putting your character on God. Because what we do, we, we, we place a, a limit on our forgiveness, don't we? You know, if I were to, you know, have, you know, if I were to, you know, Josh were to get upset with me one day, you know, and, and, and slug me in the nose, you know, and, and, and it hurts. And, and he immediately, or maybe a, a day later, Josh comes and he goes, Hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have slugged you in the nose, Pastor Don. I'm sorry. Uh, I'd take it down anyways. But, I'm but, <laughs> just joking. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I, and I go, and I go, you know, Josh, hey, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. And, and Josh, being the, the good kid that he is, he goes, oh, thank you, Pastor Don. Um, but out of character, he goes, all right, well, thank you. Boom, and he hits me again. <laughs> and I'm like, ow, you know? And he goes, ah, I'm sorry, Pastor Don. I, I, I'm sorry. Please, would you forgive me? All right, can we not do this again? You know I do forgive you, come on, Josh, boom, and he hits me again. How many times am I going to ask for forgive? how many times am I going to give him forgiveness now granted if it just it's over and over and over again well then there's there's discernment you you got to put a football helmet on or something you know when you ask for forgiveness and I give it you know uh i'll put some form of a protection on you know um but the point is. If, if this goes on for six months, you know, every time we see each other, he hits me. And then asks for forgiveness. You know, I look at that and I know that that sounds silly because we go, well, that would never happen. That would never happen. And we, you know, Josh wouldn't do that. Josh isn't that kind of a kid to do something like that. And so here's the thing. It's, it's an unrealistic, Illustration, And yet it's not because here's the thing in as much as that's an unrealistic expectation or 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 uh, an illustration that it that just wouldn't happen in real life. Actually, you know, it happens all the time with us spiritually. We do that to the Lord all the time and we run to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness and he gives it a day later. You're in the same boat again. Ah, Lord, I did it again. Might be the, the same day. It could be 10 minutes later. That ever been you? Just say yes, because it is. It's been all of us, and it's going to be a struggle for the rest of our lives, because right now we're in the flesh. We live in this body, and this body is sinful. Now, does it does it does it give us the license to do that? Absolutely not. Does it is is God encouraging us to sin? Paul will talk about that in First Corinthians chapter nine. He says, "Shall we continue to sin?" I'm sorry. Chapter 10, I think. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. I'm sorry, that's in uh, Romans chapter 7 is where that is. 1 through 4, I think, is where it is. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. No, we don't continue to sin that Christ would be forgive or, you know, give the opportunity for Christ to forgive us. That's not why we sin, because God's going to forgive us. We, we don't want to sin because we have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with Christ. And so the idea here is is that I have a relationship with the Lord, but I still blow it. But I run back to Him and I say, God, forgive me. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes get tired of going back and asking for forgiveness for things that I continue to do. And yet... The enemy will, will use that against me and my own flesh will use that against me because here's what I do. I begin to place my standards upon God and say, I wouldn't forgive me and I wouldn't forgive anyone if they kept doing this to me after a while. See, I have a limit, I think. I think we all have a limit. If Josh keeps coming and hitting me, I think that there's a limit. My limit probably isn't more than just, I can count them probably on one hand You probably count them on three fingers before I I go, yeah, I'm not going to do this again. That's my flesh. And sometimes we place our character upon God and say, well, I've asked the Lord forgiveness three times. He's given it three times. I'm not asking a fourth. And yet that was what Peter said, right? Lord, how many times shall we forgive a man? And then he thinks that he's doing something awesome because put that in that scenario. If Josh hits me three times and I'm thinking, hey, man, a fourth time, it's not going to happen. Peter goes over and above. He goes, Lord, what if Josh hit me seven times? Is that good? I mean, should we forgive Josh up to seven times? Sorry, Josh, you're just the guy that's getting picked on today. That's what you get for being out of school. It's a great summer starting off right now, isn't it? So So here's the thing. Peter says... Lord, Jesus, how many times should we forgive Josh for punching us in the nose? Seven times, up to seven times. I mean, and and now Peter's feeling pretty confident, isn't he? And I think even the other disciples are going, oh, that stinking Peter, you know, come on. You wouldn't do it seven times. I mean, how many of us believe really that Peter would do that? Uh, not, not impetuous Peter. You think Peter would do that? You think he'd forgive? Good. I, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Huh? You know, I, I, I think Peter, impetuous Peter as he is, I think that, that Peter would, would lash back out, I think. I think. Huh? He'd lop off his ear. Ow! It's getting bad for you, Josh. It's going downhill. You call you J. Paul Getty's kid. You know, here, here's the thing. Peter's thinking that he's doing a great thing. He's thinking that he's saying something great. The other disciples are going, you'd show off. You would never do it. And You know that that's what the other 11 guys are saying. They all know Pete. They're going, you liar. <laughs> you would never do that. And Jesus goes, no, Pete, not seven times. And I wonder if the Lord kind of let it hang there for a second. And, and Peter's going, Oh man, he's gonna say no, only three. Only two, maybe. I said seven. He's gotta be really I'm I'm one of his inner circle, man. I'm gonna get my Jesus badge. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> Jesus says, No, Pete, how about seventy times seven? These guys are fishermen. I think that they probably said, hey, can everybody put their hands up? we got to count this. Put just seven fingers up. All right, all right. Let's count this. Seven times seven. One, two, three. Seventy times seven. got to do that 70 times? That's 490. Are you kidding me, Lord? You're saying that if Josh hits me in the nose 490 times, I'm to forgive him 490 times? If he asks for forgiveness... The Lord's going, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Now, is Jesus saying, okay, at 491, <laughs> Josh, you're in for it. No, that's not what he's saying. The point is, don't ever stop forgiving. Don't ever stop restoring. Don't ever stop loving. Don't ever stop being like Christ is to you and I. Don't place your standards upon Christ. Don't ever do that. Don't ever, ever, ever allow your flesh nor the enemy to convince you not to run to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and to make things right. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. That's how he puts us under control. That's how he puts us under condemnation. Because when I don't go and ask the Lord for forgiveness, what happens to me? I walk around with a heavy weight upon my heart, upon my mind. And when I have a heavy condemning heart and mind... I'm not very open about the love that I have for Christ. I'm not really open about the life that you can have in freedom in Christ, right? Uh, Hey, you you know, I'm not very open to witness to people because who am I that I should say anything to anybody about Christ and the forgiveness that we can have when I'm walking around with this heavy load of guilt and condemnation upon my own head. And so the enemy wants to keep you there as long as he can keep you there. Don't. Buy into it, gang. Don't buy into it. But in as much as we sit there and we, we, we don't want to put God's, our standards upon God of how we would forgive, that's the cool thing about, there's many cool things about God, but that is one of the most amazing things that we have is the forgiveness of the Lord. What we see, the forgiveness of the Lord. And so if the Lord forgives us this this many times. How much should we be forgiving others for what they've done in our lives? For what maybe they've done in the church? For what we might consider, oh, you need to be cast out. Now, listen, there are opportunity and there are are times where you need to separate somebody from the flock because they've become a cancer. But those things should be very, 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 very few and far between. The whole idea is restoring such a one, resetting that broken bone, that broken brother, that broken sister, resetting them. If you've ever been restored, if you've ever been forgiven of something grave, and, and a relationship has built and has been become stronger because of it with the individual who has forgiven you, you understand the concept of this. You understand the concept of what Paul is saying here of what Christ would have us to do. So consider yourself, if Christ forgives you, how much should you also forgive one another? He goes on, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we looked at that and we saw, hey, here's what Paul is saying, bear one another's burdens. The idea here is to bear burdens of other people. Seek to bear others' burdens. However, don't expect others to bear your burdens. Because when you do that, that's self-seeking and that's self-focused. That's not the idea that Paul is, is laying out here. Sometimes we look at this and we see bear one another's burdens, you know, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we look at that and we think, oh, well, here's the thing. The Bible says you're supposed to bear my burdens. That's not what this is saying. This is saying to you that if you see somebody under a load, you go and do something. This is not giving you the right nor the license to say, hey, the Bible says you're supposed to bear my burdens. This isn't a license for you. This isn't the okay for you. This isn't the approval or the authority for you to say, this is what you need to do for me. That's selfish. That's self-seeking. That's self-focused. And that's not the life of Christ. That is never the idea of a saint. That's never the idea of, of a follower of Christ. It's not about you. Remember, we've talked about that. It's not about you. If you bear one another's burdens, you remember Jesus bore our burdens, right? What did he say? He said, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What did he say? Come to me and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you heavy laden? Are you heavy burdened? Jesus says, come to me. I'll put it upon my shoulders. I'll yoke you to me. You understand? That's what he says. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Do you understand what he's saying about, do you understand what a yoke is? A yoke is, is a wooden apparatus that on one half you've got like two circles, but it's cut in half, you know, you've got two circles in, in this beam and you, you put, you put it under the neck of an oxen, if you will. And the, under the necks of another oxen or maybe a donkey or something like that, which would be weird. You mix two different beasts in there and you're gonna find out someone is gonna lose. But then you put the, the other yoke, the, the other part of the yoke on the top and attach them to where both of their heads are in this stock. And as a, and it's kinda of like the old prisoners, you know? But that's not intent, you know, the, the intent wasn't to, to be causing them to be prisoners. The intent was so that they would work in concert with one another. And as they work in concert with one another and they're walking, what they're doing is that they're they're actually giving twice as much energy, twice as much uh, power, twice as much horsepower. You know, you, you hear something like, you know, 260 horsepower. You know, the idea 260 horses pulling this thing, you know. And and the the idea behind a, a yoke is to yoke yourself you're, you're yoked with something. You're yoked with someone. You're yoked with 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 something. And Jesus says, "If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and yoke yourself to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light." The idea is that when we yoke ourselves to the Lord, and the Lord's neck is in one, and your neck is in the other, when you're walking and and you're yoked together with the Lord, Jesus says, "My my my burden is light." It's easy. You follow me. I'll give you the direction to go. Where we blow it, where where I blow it is when I'm yoked together with Jesus and I want to go that way. I strangle myself in that yoke. So much. I'm bruised. I've got this 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 red beat up bruised neck when I'm yoked together with Jesus because I am so easily just dist- distracted and I want to run off this way and the Lord's going no, 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 no this is the road come on we gotta go this way ah, ah Lord you know and, and you <laughs> try to drag Jesus and it doesn't work Jesus going no, this is the easy way this is the right way this is my path might not look easy but you walk with me and I guarantee you I'll see you through to the other side you go that way you're gonna drown you go that way, you're gonna, you're gonna fall into a crevice. You go that way, you're gonna get injured. You go that way, you're gonna get hurt. Yoke yourself to me. If you're burdened, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm asking you to help, to let me come along and, and carry your burden. Paul's saying, hey, let's be like Jesus. Let's look at people and if they're burdened down, let's go and offer the opportunity for them to get some help from us. You see somebody in this church, if you see somebody burdened down, we're such a small church that it would be a shame on us if anybody in this church has a burden and someone's not seeing it. I mean, if you're burdened, sometimes we're really good concealers in a small church. I don't want anybody to think that I have a burden Sometimes we just need to know. Sometimes we need to understand. That's why it's important. You know, I, I'm I'm one of those that like to kind of hold things close to the vest. You know, my wife was like, "Hey, we need to get everybody praying for all these things that you're doing right now." I'm like, "I I I, I really don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want all this attention to come this way. I don't want that. How about you pray and I'll get my family to pray, but but I, I just don't want it to be a big thing. I don't want it to be that. I don't want anything to be focused on me. I don't want that and and she just beats it into my head listen how can people pray for you if they don't know i'm still learning that my wife that god put my wife into my life for many reasons but that's one of the biggest things and it's fun when you when you have brothers and sisters that come along and help carry your burden not because they have to but because they want to I'm not asking, I'm not saying, hey, you need to do this. I'm saying, hey, man, if you think about it, hey. And now it's under your own volition to do it or or not. And I I don't hold you against it or to it or anything, you know. The same thing with you and I and you and us. The idea is you don't expect someone to do it, but man, when they do it, it's an awesome thing. It's just an awesome thing for a family to come together and bear one another's burdens. But when we demand somebody to do it, that's not what Jesus ever did. I'm demanding you come and do this. That's not Jesus. Paul says, bear one another's... You seek out the opportunity to bear others' burdens. But if you are under a burden, don't you go and say, you need to come and bear my burden. No, He says, no, when you look out after everybody and you seek their burdens, you seek what's going on, you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. You're going to go and help them. Why? The law of Christ is found. I don't have time to go through it, you know, go into it. But John chapter 13, you don't have time to look at it. John chapter 13, you're going to know this verse. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment, Jesus says that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. So Jesus is saying, here's what I'm doing to you. I'm asking you to do to one another no more than what it is that I'm doing for you. I love you. I want you to love others. I'm ministering to you. I just want you to minister to others. I care for you. I just want you to care for others. I bear your burdens. I just want you to bear the burdens of others. You know, it's a very simple, you know, we, we went through a craze, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Everybody had a little band. I know that they're still out there. WWJD, you know. What would Jesus do? You know, that, that, that actual term came, you know, from a guy. We actually have it over here. It's called In His Steps. I want to say his name is Charles Sheldon. Wrote that. And it was back in like 1917 that he wrote that book. WWJD, what would Jesus do? And, 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 and so, what would Jesus do in a situation? You, he would bear people's burdens. But you don't expect it back. You love people. For if anyone thinks him to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And then he, he says here, but let each one examine his own work. That's an honest assessment. That's, that's, uh, um, uh, I've kind of jumped ahead a little bit here, and I'm going to back up just a little bit because I I had something that I wanted to say here. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We are living in an age where we are so self-focused, and it's hard. We're constantly being just berated with self-esteem, self-fulfillment, Self, you know, grandizing, grandstanding. It's all about self. It's all about how I'm being perceived. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, Paul's saying, if you think that you're something, when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Now, let me just, let's just expand that a little bit. We're going to do the Amplified Bible version of this, okay? Okay. If you're a Christian, if you think yourself to be something, know this, you're nothing. Because it's no longer about you, right? That's what Paul says. He said it in this passage. He said it in last... Uh, last. Uh, he's going to say it later on in this passage. He says, uh, uh, in verse 14, God forget, forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It, and Paul's saying it's no longer about me, it's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not about me anymore, it's not about you. And so it's not about you, it's not about me. And so I'm wasting my time when I'm trying to present myself to be something when I'm nothing, I'm dead It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. The the idea is that I'm I'm following Christ. Now my life that I'm living, Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter 2, that the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's who I'm living for. I'm living for Christ. And, and, And so... The idea is, is that it's not about us. And when we make it about us, we're deceiving ourselves. But that's not what we're getting in this world. What we're getting in this world is, think of yourself. You know, there could be a a number one bestseller. How many, how to step on others on your way to the top. It probably would be a New York bestseller. You know, have it be a 300-page book and on every page, just say me. It's all about me. It's about you. Think about you. Think about your life. Think about everything you. Focus on you. Don't focus on anyone else. If anyone gets in your way, step on them. Because it's about you. That's the philosophy we have in this world. I I, I just... and 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 to kind of... Describe that and to kind of define that. Think about, I went through and I thought that this was kind of a fun little, uh, uh, exercise. You know, when, when we say, think of others, don't think of yourself first. And you go, well, I am one of those people. I do think of others first. I'm gonna, quick little litmus test. When someone gives you a a group picture that you're in, who do you look at first? Yeah, that's right, yourself. When when a new rule or a protocol is issued, maybe in your house or maybe it's in your office or your place of employment, maybe it's in the grocery store, maybe it's in politics, maybe it's in law. What do we think of first when we hear about this edict? What do we think about first when we hear about this new rule? What are we going to say? How does it affect me? How does it affect me? What does that mean to me? We're, we're focused. We're self-focused. This is actually an issue that affected our country in the past 50, 60, 70 years to epic proportions, shameful proportions. And you know, you don't have to look any further than just magazines. Let me just go back and look at some of these magazines. Some of these you're going to all know. National Geographic Started in 1888 to the present day. 1888. Magazine. You pick up a magazine. National Geography. I mean, thinking of things that are, are out there and exploring the land, exploring people, exploring different nations and, 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 and different people groups even within our own country. And wow, it's a fun book to read. It's a fun magazine to read on a week by week basis or a month by month basis. National Geographic. Popular Mechanics. 1902, that book came out, that, that magazine came out on a monthly subscription and now the thing is, is that you go out there and you look at popular mechanics and it teaches you what? How things work, how to build things, how to, how to be productive in, in, in building a machine that might make your, might, might make your life or might make life easier for people and understanding the concept of building things, you know. How things work. Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest was just I haven't read a reader's digest for the longest. Anybody ever so read Reader's Digest? It, it, i I always enjoyed Reader's Digest because they always had all these little things in there of jokes in there and they had different little stories, you know. But uh but but they're all centered around kind of life circumstances yeah. and and trying to make your day a little bit brighter and and, you know, little things like that, you know, that were in there. Started in 1920, still today. Going on today. Time Magazine. Talking about time. Talking about what's going on in time. What's going on in the world. What's happening. Time Magazine, starting in 1922 to the to the present. Life Magazine. Hey, what about life? Let's look at life as a whole, you know. Started back in 1936 to 1972. It's no longer in publication. Newsweek. What's the news this week in the world? What's the news this week in this nation? What's the news? Gathering the news of, of these things. 1933 to the present. U.S. News and World Report. What's going on in the world? 1948 to the present. It's how is the world operating? What's going on? But then 1948 comes along. TV Guide. Hey. Lucy was on the first cover of of uh, the TV guide with her little Desi Arnaz Jr., her baby. And all of a sudden we begin to get focused on TV a little bit. How about Rolling Stoners Magazine? 1967 to 1976. National Lampoon, nineteen seventy 1970 to nineteen seventy four. It's a deeply irreverent, profane, and juvenile magazine. Question authority. Knock down anything that stands in your way. You know, mock, mock righteousness. People magazine. 1974 to the present. Soap opera digest. 1975 to the present. Us magazine. 1977 to the present. Self magazine. 1979 to the present. A lot of stuff started happening around 1970s, didn't they? What'd we do? Start focusing on us. People? us self vanity fair vanity is fair the 80s wired <laughs> 1993 1998 oh 2000. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oprah. Oh. Oprah's magazine. These magazines, they're all focused on challenging authority, focused on self, displeasure with who you are in the now because you need to strive to be something better because look at what they have. Something happened and we became so self-focused And and, and so we've got to, as a church, not get caught by a trap because it's so subtle. It's so subtle. Is there anything wrong with reading any of those books? Well, probably some of them. They're probably not the most holy things to read. But here's the thing. We begin to learn from TV or a soap opera or a movie what is normal personal relationships, what they're supposed to look like. Have you noticed that dads, since about the 80s until now, in every sitcom, a dad is a Bumbledore doofus, but mom's the one who handles handles everything. Or if neither one of them are handling anything, it's always the kid that is the smart one and knows how to handle everything there 's no more nuclear family where where Dad is a leader in a home and is it is leading in righteousness it 's dad is an idiot kids, your dad is an idiot now now that 's not like one of those statements of hey you 're a you know first officer with Piedmont that 's not what i 'm saying. Your dad is not an idiot, but that 's what we 're getting pelted with and when and it 's so subtle so that when we look at that and and we we begin to embrace. Just because it just is happening it's happening all around us we've got to fight that we've got to fight the world we've got to fight against the temptations of falling into what the world has to offer we, we can't fall into an unrighteous view of what God has already ordained we laugh at leave it to beaver. We laugh at My Three Sons. We laugh at The Waltons. Or we laugh at Little House on the Prairie. Or Andy Griffiths Show. We laugh at that because, oh man, look how stupid that is. I, how, how, how much of a dork is that dad? It, you know, it, here's the thing. Are they really dorks? No, actually they were portraying dads as being an upright Kind of a guy at one time, but now dads and moms not so much anymore. They don't know anything, and and then we have what we have, and and now we have what we what we what we are we're suffering from the consequences of that. And so here in my lifetime, I see such a degradation. If it's fallen this far in my lifetime to where. To where students are basically, kids who haven't even grown up yet, are basically dictating policy. I, they don't even know how to take tests at times. They don't even know how to handle their own hormones. And yet, we're, we're, we're going, well this is what the kids want, this is what the kids want, this is what the kids want, stop it! The kids need to grow up, the parents need to be the parents we we've, we've got to get back in and 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 being well we're it's not I, I don't know that i see that that's going to happen but if this is how far we've we've digressed i pity the kids today because i i you're sitting here i know as kids are probably listening to me and going oh man again an adult talking about that stuff well guess what in about 30 years you're going to be right here with me and you're going to go my gosh these kids today, we didn't do that when I was growing up. But if, if we fall in this far, I, I am so, I don't know how much farther we can fall. I don't know how far, how much further away from righteousness or holiness or godliness or, or, or having God in anything. Yeah, that, that we're, how, how are we gonna, how are we gonna survive? I, I just don't see that we can handle a whole other generation of this degradation. We're gonna crumble from within. We are crumbling from within. We have a major philosophical, political, civil war going on in our nation right now, and two sides cannot get together. To the point where there's an, a vehement hatred amongst citizens of this country. That should not be, but it is truly a consequence. Of us becoming self-focused. We become so self-focused. But let it not be named among you in the church. You're going to be considered a dork. You're going to be considered a freak. You're going to be considered a Bible thumper. Don't let it sway you, man. Don't let it sway you. You be a Christian. You know why? Because you're doing it not for you. You're doing it for Christ. I'm living for Jesus, man. You're living for Jesus. That's what it's about. Let's live for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't care what the world has to say. You know what? When it all comes down to it, he's the one that's going to be standing up for me in the end. And not one of you will be, and not one of my friends will be, and not one nobody else is going to be standing up for me in the end. It's going to be Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's live for him. And, and, and so, the idea here is that we're called, Jesus says, hey, be, a, be salt of the earth, be a light in this dark world. Not, I mean, really, I don't know that there's ever been a time where it's easier to, to, to shine your light. Because this world, this nation is very, very dark. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Jesus said to us. Let's do that. But while you do it, know this, at the end of the day, you're going to be bearing your own load. That's what he says. Examine your own life. Take an honest assessment of your life. Scrutinize your life, that word literally means. The idea here, when it says examine your life, it's... That word examine means to see whether a thing is genuine or not, as in like in metals. Prove yourself. Examine your life. Examine your work. And when you do, and you take an honest assessment, and you go, you know what, Lord, I'm not living for me, I'm living for you. I blow it sometimes, but God, thank you that though I'm not what I'm going to be, thank God that I'm not who I used to be, and thank you that you're growing me. Because, you know what, six months ago, I wouldn't have made that decision. Six months ago, I wouldn't have buried or bore that person's burdens. I would have just passed them by. You know, six months ago, a year ago, ten years ago, I wouldn't have been this way. But you have changed me. I'm not where I am, where I'm going to be. But Lord, thank you, God, that I'm not where I used to be. Continue to grow me, Lord. Help me to draw closer to you. Examine your work then you'll have rejoicing in yourself. Why? Because when you're living for Jesus, just that, just that understanding, we talked about that last week, didn't we? Just knowing that we're in concert with Christ is just awesome. And I let him who taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And it's it's very easy to look at this, and I know a lot of pastors will take this, and they'll, they'll camp on verse 6 for a long time. Listen, this is what it's saying. Listen, let him who, who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And it's basically saying, hey, if you're being taught by a pastor, you're being taught by a church, hey, support them. I am very leery about saying anything. We have a box in the back. We don't hand a, a tithe, you know, bucket around. I... I I, I We don't do that. And you, we might say, you might sit there in your seat and go, well, maybe that's the reason why you're small. You don't pass a tithe bucket around. You know what? If I have to pass a tithe bucket around in order to get people to give, it's not worth it to me. I, I don't want to force you to give. But the Bible does talk about giving. I give. I give. You give. We give. The, the idea is is that is that we support. I'm not asking you to do something that I wouldn't do that I don't do. And, and so the idea here is Paul saying, hey, let him who's taught the word, sharing all good things with him who teaches. If you're being taught and you're growing up in the faith, well, support those who are, who are doing that. And that's all I'm going to say about that because I am very uncomfortable talking about these things. I don't, how many times have you ever heard me talk about money? Your money coming into this church, your money going anywhere else for me. I don't do it. I don't like it. It's hard for me to talk about that. I never, ever, ever want you to think that I do this because I want something from you. I don't want that. Don't be deceived, Paul says. God is not mocked. For Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That's pretty self-evident. If you're going to sow, you know, uh, to the flesh, you're going to, of the flesh, reap corruption. But if you're going to sow to the Spirit, he goes on, You will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The idea is that it's the the heavenly economics of sowing and reaping. Now, this is not karma. Karma is nothing. Karma is not. Karma is a thought of a of a cult. It's it's a takeoff of this, but it's not karma. we're, it's just being stated. You know, Paul is just stating a fact. Listen, if you're going to sow to corruption, guess what? If you plant an orange or an avocado seed in the ground, don't expect an orange tree to come up. In a, in the same manner, if you if you sow something bad, if you do something bad, expect a bad result. If you, if you go and you beat somebody down with your voice, don't expect for them to come back to you with a nice flowery, you know, forgiving voice. They might come back at you with both barrels. But the the idea is, if you're gonna sow to the flesh, guess what? You're probably gonna reap of the flesh, which is the corruption. If you're gonna sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you'll also reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. And it is so hard, isn't it, guys? In today's day and age, it's hard to do the right thing when the world thinks that that, that you're you're a goody two-shoes if you do it. Don't buy into the world. You know what the world desperately wants? I'm so convinced that whether or not you believe in this president that we have right now, I think that the reason why he's in office is because people have become so sick and tired of the political system that we've had of lies and lies and lies. Now, Listen, with this president's in there, I'm not advocating, I'm not taking away, but I'll tell you one thing. The reason, I, I, I was shocked that we as a nation were brought to a place where we had to choose between these two. That shows us just how far we have degraded. These two, w- neither were worthy to do this. You know, one is lying and has used and abused people and people have died under her and her husband's watch. And this other, our president, he's a narcissist. Man, he loves himself. Now, there's a lot of things that he does. There's some decisions that he made. There's some decisions that they made that were very good. There's some decisions that, that Trump has made that are very good. But he's, he's, again, I don't want to get into all politics, but, but that we have had to come to a place where we had to choose between these two, it's shocking. This is what we've come to. But I will say this one thing. I think the reason why this guy got elected is because people have gotten sick and tired of just the status quo, of degrading. Constantly degrading, constantly just selling our souls. And I think that there was a group, there's a, a, a rumbling of people in the United States that are saying, I long for something that's good. Again. I long for something, someone to upset the apple cart. And, and get us off of this trend of spiraling down to destruction as a country. And if it means that we gotta put this guy in the office to do it because it takes us away from the direction that we've been going, so be it. But, but here's the thing. Don't you ever grow weary while doing good. Because here's the thing. I believe that there is a rumbling of people that are sitting there going, I wish that I could see someone do good today. It's refreshing when someone is doing the right thing it's refreshing when someone is honest it's refreshing when somebody has integrity it's refreshing when someone has humility about them it's refreshing when people take and put others above themselves it's refreshing you know the spiritual the idea the spiritual acronym of 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 understanding how to to have joy in your life is J O Y Jesus and then others, and then yourself. Isn't that refreshing? It's refreshing. But when you turn that around, which is really where the world is, it's about me, and then about you, and I ain't want anything to do with Jesus. It's a yaj, it doesn't make any sense. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us all do good. Let us do good to all. Especially those who are the household of faith, he says. See with what large letters I'm going to just read the rest of this. See with the l- large letters I've written to you with my own hand. So Paul is now writing these letters, uh, his own letters, there to say that hey, this is Paul writing. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to, to compel you to be circumcised, only, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. Paul takes another shot at the people that have come into the church to start ripping the church off. He says, they're trying to make you do something that they, th- they themselves won't do. And oftentimes that's what happens amongst the leadership of a church. They'll sit there and they'll tell you what you need to do, but they themselves aren't doing it themselves. You know, I, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking. You know, I just was reading something in the paper where a marine chaplain you know got caught you know doing some very untoward things in a bar uh and you know with a woman of the night a chaplain and he was relieved of his duties and you know he's no and and you sit there and you go okay now last sunday you were up telling people not to do that and, and this week you're in a bar getting toasted and you're doing this thing with a woman in the open who are you is there integrity there? No. Is there honesty there? No. Is there humility there? No. Is there, I'm telling you what you need to do? Yes. But I'm not going to do it? Yes, that's what it is. That's nothing more than a Pharisee and a hypocrite. It's nice to not have hypocrites. Don't be a hypocrite. People want to see genuine. People want to see integrity and honesty and holiness and righteousness. But God forbid, Paul says, that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There should be no glory in my life except for the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's where the glory should go. By whom the world has been crucified to me. I don't care what happens in the world. It's not about that anymore. It's not about me. I to the world. I've been crucified to the world. It's not about me and the world anymore. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. It has nothing to do with a piece of, of skin that you cut off or you leave on. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with being a new creation in Jesus Christ because of his blood and his sacrifice on a cross and his resurrection and to new life and ascension into heaven from the grave. That's all that, that, that matters. It, it has nothing to do with a piece of flesh. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon you. And upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, Paul says. For I bear in my body the marks of our Lord, of the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, hey, from now on, don't attack me saying that I'm not living for Christ. I'll show you the scars on my body that show that I'm living for Christ. It's not about me. It's about Him. And I'll gladly take the whippings. I'll gladly take the shipwrecks. I'll gladly take the stonings if it means that one more person will come to Christ. Don't ever question my resolve to follow after Christ ever again. Question those who creep into church and make you do things that they themselves won't do. That's what he's saying. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all uh, with your spirit. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, and may your grace be with us. May we, Lord, live with integrity and honesty and holiness and righteousness, knowing that our life is not about us, it's about you. Our life is to be lived for you. God, help us to live a holy life. Help us to live a life where people would look at us and not elevate us. That's not what it's about. But, Lord, help us to live a life in such a way that when people look at us, they, they want to know what makes us tick. And then it gives us an opportunity to share where our light comes from. Much like a moon. A moon doesn't generate its own light. A moon simply reflects the light of the sun. God, may we truly, like the the moon, may we truly reflect the, the light of the sun. Jesus. And so when people say, hey, what makes you so bright? I'm simply, we can say, reflecting the light of the Son, Jesus Christ. I'm simply reflecting Jesus' light. It's not about me. It's not what I'm doing. It's what He's doing in me. He loves you. He loves me. He's shining His light in my life and I'm just thankful and grateful that He would even allow even a little bit of light to flicker from my life. I'm honored that He would ever use a guy like myself and, and not in false humility not in some derived or contrived manner of trying to get someone to feel good about you. Because again, that's selfish. Lord, help us not to be that way. Help us, oh Lord, to truly just be reflections of you. That when people see us, they would glorify you in heaven. Not us, but you. That's the whole idea about shining and reflecting your light in this world, this dark world. May we not grow weary even though the world is progressively becoming more anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-Bible, anti-dedication to the one true God in heaven. May we not grow weary. May we stand strong. For in so doing, there are thousands, if not millions, of people that are desperately just wanting someone to stand up and be a light. They want to see what one looks like. A true light. Not a fake light. Not a contrived light. But a real, true, bona fide reflection of the light of Jesus Christ and Him crucified in this day and age. May that be us, Lord. May that be every single person in this room. May that be every single person that's listening to this message right now. May we truly reflect your life. May we truly represent you in this world today. Not for our sakes, but for your sakes and for the world's sakes. That the world may see you through us and bring you glory and be saved. May you use us, Lord, for that purpose, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.